0: Our program today, in a sense, began back in May when I get an email from these guys. And, was, and they were, you were getting ready to go to what, to Spain? we
1: were in Spain.
0: You were in Spain, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then we finally connected via um, the internet in August. Now, I know everybody else does FaceTime and does all these things. I don't have my computer set up that way, so I don't have to deal with these problems. But I met you. At the, I went to the library, <laughs> where everything worked but the camera. So I could see them sitting in a kitchen. I could admire all that garlic and onions hanging in the background. In fact, you were really surprised at one point. He says, wow, you're in your kitchen. She says, How do you know? I can see what's going on in your side. You can't see me. And then I introduced him to Peter Engler, which was really, I think, been a terrific resource for them. On everything in Chicago, and plus he lives at Hyde Park, which makes life much easier. I live in Highland Park, it's not so easy. Anyway, I will let you introduce yourselves because you are.
1: All right, all right, thank you. Thank you very much, Kathy. Um, well, uh, I'm Stefan Parnier, anthropologist, at, uh, professor of anthropology at the University of Chicago, and uh, we can talk a little bit later on maybe about how we connected, but Miralda.
2: Oh, uh, yes, well, I'm Anthony Miral, and I've uh, always been quite uh, interested and obsessed by how food is uh, important for all us, but especially how, in a certain way, how through food I could, uh, I could do my own, my own art. So from the 60s, 70s, I started to work and uh, involved with food, the ritual of food, and so whatever um, one of the exhibitions that I had recently, there was like a retrospective, that seems very serious, at the Museum of Contemporary Art in Barcelona, and uh, one particular piece was the Santa Comida, it was about uh, offerings and uh, holy food in terms of the Euro, um, saints, and, um, and uh, I met uh, Stefan, uh, and from that to Maggie. So that's it, you know, I think you, we can talk later about many, many things if you... Yeah. Yeah.
1: And, you know, maybe just one thing uh, to say, uh, I guess we should thank the Gray Center at the University of Chicago for... Uh, bring Miralda here for a quarter, and uh, so that he and I, you know, we currently teaching a course called The Art and Anthropology of Food and Cuisine. So just uh, to tell you how we plan to run this, uh, I'm going to give you a paper, uh, which or present to you a paper, which I wrote uh, for uh, Miralda's Maggi uh, event, or rather a catalog or a book that we're planning to uh, publish about that. And then, uh, Miralda will uh, show you images of that event, as well as uh, Magginalia, magiabilia, what, uh, whatever you want to call it. And then we can maybe switch to a more open format, uh, including, uh, you know, just questions from you and uh, conversation like that. Okay. So my paper's title is Through the Prism of a Cube: Notes on the Maggi Galaxy. As creatures of the second half of the 20th century, both Miralda and I grew up with bouillon cubes. Maggi and other instant soups were drilled into our culinary memories. Miralda tells me that when growing up in fascist Spain, he collected the images that came with the boxes of avecrem or gallina blanca cubes. Coming of age uh, in the Marshall Plan, underwritten economic miracle of post of Cold War West Germany, some of my earliest memories of family lunches involved the presence of the brown bottle of Maggi seasoning on the table—an inevitable presence, both domestically and in restaurants, where in the 1960s it would not fail to be found next to the salt and pepper shakers, as part and parcel of the amount of culinary discretion left to the consumer. But the bouillon cubes were a constant present, too, if only because my mother would cook a meat and bone broth only once a week, and then proceeded to dilute it day by day with additions of water and the inevitable muggy cube that allowed us to imagine that we were spooning up towards the end of the cycle could still be understood as soup. By day five, at the latest, it became positively awful. Now, I didn't know it at the time, but what my and Miralda's families had become part of by then was a gustatory galaxy whose diverse worlds revolved around a humble square composed of compressed hydrolyzed vegetable protein, hydrogenated fat, flavor enhancers such as MSG and yeast extract, lots of salt, and sometimes traces of vegetable and spice extracts. By the 1960s, People across the globe had joined the pioneers in Miraldas in thinking that what imparted a crucial moment of expectable taste to their quotidian meals was the Swiss miller and grain merchant um, Julius Maggi's late 19th century improvement on uh, one of the earlier um, industrial foodstuffs next to hardtack or ship biscuits. Oh, this, I should have uh, showed you that before. was the title, and this is Maggi himself. Now, although Maggi was the first to produce a purely plant-based bullion cube in 1908, the liquid seasoning had been on the market since 1886. He was, comparatively speaking, a latecomer. By 1832, the French confectioner Nicolas Appel, who had invented what we today call canned food, in the midst of the French Revolution. By 1832, he submitted a patent application for dehydrated meat extract. But portable soup, that is, soluble animal protein broth, boiled down to a syrupy or even leathery consistency, had already begun to become a staple of merchant marines, navies, and missions of geographical explorations to alleviate the nutritional deficiencies and gustatory effects uh, defects of shipboard rations. Now, we do not know if the victorious Nelson was offered a cup of rehydrated beef tea as he, was, as he lay dying after the Battle of Trafalgar, but he might as well have been. Now, the real story of instant soup starts elsewhere, but only shortly after Lord Nelson's fatal victory. It is a truly global story and its key protagonist is the German chemist Justus von Liebig, whose experiments with hydrolyzing meat protein, ongoing since the 1840s, in 1854 came to the attention of a Uruguayan German expatriate named August Hoffmann. Hoffmann had become interested in the cattle industry in the southern Cone and formed a partnership with a local named Ricardo Hughes to provision international ships with the salted meat of cattle, which previously had been left to the vultures after hides and tallow had been extracted from the corpses for European use in, for example, uh, engine belts, steam engine belts and industrial lubricants. To be sure, small amounts of the meat of the enormous herds of cattle roaming the southern cone since the 17th century had been sold to the slaveholding colonies in the Caribbean, as a cheap source of protein for severely undernourished slaves, the famous tasajo, that has now become an unattainable delicacy in Cuba, but not in Miami, of course, and whose history parallels that of Norwegian or Newfoundland salt cod in the slave-holding Caribbean. Now, of course, um, Hoffman and Hughes' tasajo operation was heading towards obsolescence. Providing salt beef to add minimal quantities of protein to the funche, that is rationed food preparations of slaves still at work in Cuba or Brazil until 1886 and 1888, which were the respective dates of abolition, was patently becoming economically unviable in the second half of the 19th century. Enter Georg Christian Giebert, a German engineer who had been building roads in Brazil and knew Hoffman from back in Europe. Giebert had read from Liebig's work, and given that Hoffman also knew it, the two of them came up with an ambitious plan. On a return trip to Europe in 1861, Giebert contacted von Liebig, secured his agreement to market a meat extract product under his name, and proceeded to order the requisite mach- machinery in England to commence mass manufacturing Liebix Extractum Carnis, carnis in the fray Bentos, Giebert and Co company, which he founded in Uruguay in 1863. Two years later, Giebert attracted further investment and incorporated the Liebig's Extract of Meat Company Limited, also known as Lemco, <laughs> which embarked on a meteoric course of expansion, increasing its output of meat extract from 28 tons in 1865 to a staggering 478 tons only five years later. The result of a veritable industrial hecatomb. The numbers of its bovine victims rose from just over 3,000 in 1865 to 47,000 in 1867, 90,000 in 1868 to reach its all-time height of 224,000 animals slaughtered in 1908. Now Lemko's fortunes eventually floundered due to the advent of commercial refrigeration technologies and the disruption of its shipping lines in the course of World War I. In 1924, it relinquished its Uruguayan operations and teetered on. Until 1968, when it became Brook Bond Oxo Limited, and finally was swallowed by Unilever in 1984, where it eventually was joined by one of its former competitors, Knorr, in 2000. But while it lasted, Lemco performed two functions crucial to the eventual formation of the Muggy Galaxy. Firstly, the sheer explosion of its volume of production directly points to its role in what Sidney Mintz, in the case of sugar, called the extensification of the uses of a commodity. By this, Mintz means not just the increasing frequency and quantity of a product's consumption by ever larger numbers of people, but also the way in which initial novelties, sometimes associated with elite groups, come to be incorporated into the domestic lives and routines of their users to the point where they transform into ubiquitous elements, even necessities of everyday life. But secondly, Lemko's enormous success also indicates the emergence of a market structure that directly articulated both with changing patterns of working people's lives in industrializing Europe and with the concerns of bureaucratic states with the nutritional status of their workforce. In other words, while von Liebig's extract of meat may not have fully achieved the status of what Mintz calls a proletarian hunger killer or capitalist anti-friction device, the bullion cubes, sailing in its wake of Liebig's meat extract, were deliberately designed as such. Julius Maggi himself had very clear ideas about such matters. In a memorial submitted to the 6th International Congress on Hygiene and Demography in Vienna in 1887, he addressed the, quote unquote, question of general progress in nutrition in a brilliant formula that anticipates what present day economists like to call popularly placed products for the bottom of the pyramid. And that question was, Muggie's question was, in a quote, how to provide the missing protein for the mass of the people? And how does one provide such missing protein for the masses in the cheapest possible way? Shifting his focus from popular nutrition, Volksernährung, to mass nutrition, Massenernährung, He defined the latter, that is, mass nutrition. And here you might want to see a couple of. This is one of uh, the original factories. Mass nutrition as the nutrition of all those who cannot freely determine it, whether their situation of constraint arises from economic dependence, such as, for example, among industrial factory populations, or from our political and social order, such as in the case of our troops and navy, among those under the care of hospitals, those attending religious or secular educational institutions, and so forth, or among inmates of prisons." End of Maggi's quote. And here you see, uh, you know, sort of referring to hospitals, uh, Maggis krankenauung for sick people with uh, eskulap, uh, and here for the soldiers, uh, Magi's soups for the military the best. Now, if the diet of Swiss peasants and artisans on the eve of industrialization had largely consisted of bread, gruel, and porridge made from rye, oats, or spelt, along with dairy products, by the second half of the 19th century, the increasing number of landless rural proletarians headed towards factory labor neither had the means to grow their own grains nor the purchasing power to access them in sufficient quantity. And least of all, did they have the time needed to make gruel and porridge. Cheap, filling, and quickly prepared, Maggi's instant pea soup, bouillon cubes, and seasoning products rushed in to fill that gap between hunger and acceptable forms of satiation with remarkable speed, transforming, as Maggi's products did, uh, the very meaning of the modern meal both accelerating and standardizing domestic food. But they also molded novel forms of gustatory subjectivity that coalesced around industrially branded taste profiles. The point is, the Swiss and later European industrial proletariat learned how to like Maggi products by being socialized into building them into what Pierre Bourdieu might have called their culinary habitus a set of generally unreflected discursively often largely unavailable dispositions. Muggy's cubes did so, for example, by solving the problem of the weak soup for households without access to a kitchen garden, insufficient funds to uh, purchase meat or bones on a regular basis, and lack of time to prepare a proper bullion from scratch, which is my mother's story. The result was a race towards a salty, distinctly muggy-tasting bottom, which, for better or worse, engraved itself into the culinary memories of generations of Europeans. What eventually resulted was a blurring of the boundaries between home cooking and industrial food, to a degree that adding muggy products to soup made from scratch became not just acceptable, but potentially desirable. Again, the story of my family meals. The absence of a muggy cube would thus potentially even be detected by the eaters, if only by eliciting puzzled comments. Somehow, the soup tastes differently today. Can you hand me the liquid seasoning, please? But philanthropically-minded believer in the adage, doing well by doing good, muggy also was a shrewd businessman and a genuine pioneer of industrial advertising. To this end, already in 1886, he hired the law school dropout Frank Wedekind, who in a mere year in Maggi's employ penned 160 amusing or supposedly edifying texts commending Maggi products, before going on to become one of the most distinguished German language playwrights in the late 19th and early 20th century. In hiring Wedekind, uh, Maggi aimed to make his products palatable to the literate bourgeoisie of the time, placing the ads in respectable newspapers and magazines and advising Wedekind to steer clear of controversial topics, or at least to properly moralize them. And you might want to know that in some of his more extravagant muggy texts, Wedekind wrote about such things as earthquakes, morphine addiction, women's emancipation, a white elephant in the Washington, D.C. zoo, family disorganization, teratological births, the gold standard, the meaning of death, and so on, and so on, and so on. Obviously, the youthful Vedekind was toying with the still relatively new medium of advertising, at times coming close to satirizing the stolid values of his intended petit bourgeois audiences. But Maggie understood what the late 20th century genius of branding, Bill Backer, was to say about a company which had begun to embark on a brand-driven career at about the same time as Maggie, And here's what Bacca said. The product of the Coca-Cola company is not Coca-Cola. That makes itself. The product of the Coca-Cola company is advertising. In fact, Maggi's emblematic red and yellow cross star label and the to this day unchanged shape of the liquid seasoning bottle significantly antedate the release of the first Coca-Cola bottles in 1916. And I think here you can see sort of uh, the beginning of the distribution of Maggi, all those guys on the bikes, women, you know, sort of bottling Maggi. And here you have, of course, the you know the unchanged uh, to this very day bottle shape. Um, okay, while we know quite a bit about Maggi's invasion of and appropriation into European domestic spheres and gustatory worlds, its rise to a global condiment is shrouded in mystery. Chances are that the first bullion cubes reached colonial West Africa, South India, and China before World War I through the Basel Mission, whose Basler Missionshandlungsgesellschaft was incorporated in 1859. Due to significant Swiss immigration to German Southwest Africa, both Muggy and Knorr products had documentably reached Namibia by 1910. But much of Muggy's global diffusion seems to postdate its merger with Nestle in 1947. Towards the end of the 1950s, concerted efforts by the latter company to export Maggi cubes to Africa commenced in Liberia, and in 1961, Nestlé expanded its marketing of Maggi products to Nigeria. In the following decade, the company followed its product. By the mid-1980s, Nestlé had set up production sites for Maggi cubes in Cameroon, Côte d'Ivoire, Ghana, Liberia, Nigeria, and Senegal. By 2004, it had added further plans in Guinea Conakry, Kenya, South Africa, and Zimbabwe, and national offices in Equatorial Guinea, Gabon, Madagascar, Mozambique, Niger, and Sao Tome in principle. Yet no one seems to have paid proper heed to the dynamics of this humble worldly good. How muggy cubes found their ways into the diets of what today are 108 nation states and their regional cuisines has simply gone undocumented. But we have a few clues in the case of sub-Saharan Africa. Writing at the end of the 1980s, the Swiss missionary and ethnographer Al Imfeld was perhaps the first to express his fascination with the often astonishing ways in which muggy cubes had become reorganized in line with local African pragmatics and aesthetics. Here's Imfeld uh, arriving at Cameroon's uh, terminal northern train station of Ngagunde in uh, 1988 to see girls, boys, and women pile up veritable ziggurats of red and yellow muggy cubes in the dusty streets. And I quote, in this environment of copper-red earth, reddish dust, brown-red ants, waning dusk, and a red-hot sun just about to set, The muggy yellow appeared like a magnet. This cube at the top of these structures appeared to me as something like temptation incarnate, or a hailing to take, take, and take as long as it's there. One more, take, and take, evermore. An inner illumination, and it resembled the irresistible yellow of the cube, revealed to me like a flash of lightning that what I was just experiencing was the primordial beginning of consumer desire brought to the point, end of quote. Still referring to this episode at what must have been, at the time, a godforsaken part of Cameroon, Imfeld goes on to say, and I quote again, this kernel of Maggi contains the explosion of all future worlds. The development towards the modern and monetized world begins with cubes, with the cubism of temptation. Without temptation, no progress. Maggi, the cubism of culinary culture, the longing for modernity." End of quote. Next, Imfeld turns towards Guinea-Bissau, where Maggi cubes had become the only stable currency in the post-revolutionary period. Valued at 50 pesos, at a time when inflation had put 50 peso coins out of circulation, Maggi had become a substitute currency. This is the only stable thing here, an agronomist tells Imfeld. Maggi was already here when we came, comes across the border to Senegal, where Nestlé produces locally. The people think it's indigenous, just like the peso. They just can't read the Made in Switzerland label. Speaking to local women involved in a European-sponsored agricultural development project, Imhof gets a sense of why Maggie has made its home in post-colonial Guinea-Bissau. As would figure, the women chide him. One of them says, why are you so critical when it comes to the cube? Because it gives us more freedom? Or are you jealous and believe that this cube is really a gri?" Our men say that when we use muggy in cooking for guests, they always like it better, and that this would be understood as a declaration of love. Our men think that muggy is to blame when other men desire us. Another one says, of course we can make similar sauces, but that takes time. But when we now have to tend to the onions and manioc for the development project, we lack the time for that. Development takes up a lot of time. These days, we're busy all day long. We lack the two hours we need to prepare the sauce. A modern African woman, says yet another one of them, needs three things. And these are a bra, as a little secret to be kept from her man, muggy cubes, a needle baby formula for the children, a gendered culinary utopia. By the time uh, that the German anthropologist Manfred Stoppock was doing research in Guinea-Bissau some 20 years after Imhoff, the cubes had become so fully integrated into local foodways that they were commonly referred to as gusto, taste, or that which makes food tasty. As Stoppock writes, quote, one buys and adds gusto, that is, taste, to the food. Already, this designation demonstrates the enormous importance of this product for Guinean food. For who would want to eat a meal without taste? End of quote. As in several other African cases, Gusto had come to replace local flavor enhancers such as netetu. Uh, Seasoning prepared, uh, the entry of maggi. you know, sort of... uh, into the colonial world, uh, a few more images of you know which we may return to. Which uh, I particularly love this one. I mean, here the here the cows are uh, scared that they might be sold to a uh, to a muggy um, a fa- uh, factory, and here uh, here you see there's everything rushing into the uh, into the funnel for the cube making or the you know in this case it's a granulated bullion. So here, here you have like, uh, photos of uh, you know, these local traditional flavor enhancers, such as uh, netetu, a uh, seasoning prepared from the fermented, boiled, re-fermented, and dried fruit of the African locust bean tree. Another one common in uh, Guinea-Bissau before is camarão seco, uh, dried crab, or escalada, which was dried salt cod. But all of which have to be laboriously broken down in a mortar to yield the desired effect. Similar findings have been reported from northern Ghana, where a local plant-based house of flavor enhancer. Here you have it, you can get it at, uh, at old-world market, just uh, just down the road, basically. But that too is in Africa, yielding to maggi. Now, what we find in uh, all of these cases where uh, you know maggi products are replacing local uh, flavor enhancers is a form of culinary outsourcing of standards of gustatory acceptability to the food chemists at Nestle. Such commodification of taste as a commercially pr- purchased addition to food appears to thrive on a widespread African pattern where complex carbohydrates such as rice, yams, plantains, sorghum, millet, manioc, etc., form the basis of any meal but are unthinkable as a meal unless accompanied by even only small amounts of a relish or sauce composed of animal or vegetable protein that often is described as necessary for the food to go down. Identified for the first time by the British anthropologist Audrey Richards in her 1930s ethnographic work on the Bemba of Northern Rhodesia and later theorized by Sidney Mintz, as the core fringe pattern common to most agrarian populations worldwide, it may well be that this conception of what proper food should consist in, that is a starch and a, and a relish or sauce, um, else it's just simply a snack or, or unacceptable, it may have been that this conception underlay the phenomenal success of mugi in Sub-Saharan Africa. Though Nestlé may not have been aware of this at the time the company began exporting muggy products to Africa, its bullion cubes seem to have functioned like a key to the door provided by the core fringe pattern. By now, of course, the designers, uh, taste designers of Nestlé are well aware of this. And in its publications, the company is explicit about the fact that not all cubes are created equal anymore. But instead, taste profiles are adapted to regional and local preferences and calibrated against competitor brands, such as, for example, the Spanish cube Jumbo, which enjoys wide popularity in Senegal. Counting only the cubes, as not powders or liquids, Nestlé's website lists nine different versions of its muggy seasoning products marketed in different regions of Africa. Shrimp, cravette, crayfish, chicken, poulet, onion, épice, cube regular, tablette, mutton, curry tablet, saf safal, nocos, and golden beef. It's on their website. Some of these come in halal versions, too, though given the general absence of even only minimal amounts of meat extract in most of these cubes today, one wonders about the need for, or even existence of, proper Islamic oversight. Now, the impact of these products on local foodways is undeniable, and it projects forward into contemporary African diasporas. Take the case of Ousmane Sow, a Guinea-Conakrian owner of a Zurich-based specialty store named Afro Shop, who conducts brisk business with muggy cubes produced in Abidjan. These travel 4,850 kilometers to Zurich while the nearest muggy production plant in Singen, in southwestern Germany, is only 50 kilometers away. But like other African immigrants, so would not dream of crumbling German cubes into a sauce. Likewise, in Chicago's Old World Market, that has long catered to the, the city's African immigrant population, not one of the muggy cubes on sale there is produced in Europe or the United States. Maggi crevette from Cote d'Ivoire, halal chicken and crayfish from Nigeria, vegetable flavor and caldo de res from Guatemala. Although a wide variety of dried or powdered African condiments, as well as dried shrimp and smoked fish, are also available at Old World Market, they appear to supplement rather than supplant the ubiquitous African-produced Maggi cubes that shore up African flavor profiles abroad. Clearly, not any old cube will do when it comes to what Richard Wilk aptly calls home cooking in the global village. What we have here is a beautiful illustration of the way in which heterogeneity, local culinary diversity, if you will, can and does, nowadays perhaps even must, coexist with structural homogenization and market consolidation on a global scale. Brand diversification does allow the consumer a degree of latitude in the work of appropriation of commodities into his or her desired way of life. But by the same token, this very freedom to choose is ultimately a function of corporate interests geared towards expanding their market share. People we might say with Marx, cook and eat their own food but they do not do so under conditions of their own choosing. Instead, the stakes are set by local governments, financial institutions, agricultural policies, global market structures, corporate investment policies, and advertising campaigns. Nonetheless, except in the direst of entitlement failures, as the uh, economist Amartya Sen has called the structural inability to obtain desired or even only necessary goods, the ways in which people worldwide toss or crumble muggy cubes into whatever they regard as as proper, dignified food, that way of doing it is a decision that is theirs to make. What results from their endeavors is not a globally homogenized crème or puree, but what Richard will calls the lumpy stew of global foodways in all the industrially mediated local diversity and thoroughly modern culinary traditionality. Let me repeat that, thoroughly modern culinary traditionality. Here then is what we might call the muggy galaxy, a constantly evolving, expanding, accelerating, mutating, gustatory pluriverse of highly differentiated, ever-emergent culinary practices, integrated not just commercially by, but gyrating ideologically and aesthetically around that cubic worldly good invented by the good Signore Maggi, Maggi, that's how he probably really pronounced his name, uh, because he was uh, from the Italian-speaking part of Switzerland, that Cubic World Be Good, invented by Muggie over 100 years ago. Thanks.
2: Great. So we are sort of moving to some other segments, if I can say, of of this publication. The publication is a work in progress. And uh, we are going to... Count on you and about giving us some perhaps uh, information of recipes and ideas and because it's a sort of an open archive and um, one of the parts then uh, I would like to uh, sort of uh, make it uh, clear is about this sort of uh, uh, I could set up magic coincidence. I mean, I'm, I've been fascinated by that between, so that cube, then you talk about uh, the cubism and the patriotism. So if we can, I mean, what, what is this cube so about? You know, what is this, this uh, magnet and what is this uh, uh, power? Then they have those, uh, those cubes So let's go to the 1912, the Cubism, the manifest by uh, Apollinaire, uh, Guillaume Apollinaire, published at the magazine um, uh, called uh, I'll let you know, Uh, see um, Fantasio. So uh, I don't know if you can see it in the just in the. Mm, second part of the first paragraph, uh, Polinaire says, Mais que dira le public quand il connaitra l'existence d'une nouvelle école de cuisine qui est à l'ancien art culinaire? C'est que le dramatisme est à l'ancienne poésie et c'est que le cubisme est à l'ancienne peinture. So, in a certain way, he um, this is the whole first paragraph. Um, I mean, it's like a kind of a, uh, a statement about innovation, and a statement about uh, you know how innovation versus uh, um, uh, the old school, so a critic, a clear critic to the, the old style. And uh, what is interesting is that he does this kind of comparison comparison between arts. So, in fact, I mean, he is talking about modern cuisine as a reference, of course, to the bouillon cubic because all this is a coincidence, this magic coincidence, timing. And uh, so this this cuisine will become scientific, just like the painting will become cubism. So it's that sort of incredible, um, connection, if I can say. So, Picasso introduced the same year, 1912, the cube, and the magic, the bouillon cube in his uh, wonderful uh, painting, um, the, the Paysage of Affiches. As you can see, the cube on the left side uh, on the bottom. Um, we need to also think about you know what was that time? 1912, just very, very close to the the First World War, World War declaration. So the, that sort of a uh, those moments of tension and confrontation between Germany and France, and that sort of exaltation of patriotism. See here this publicity of uh, Maggie on those the soldiers with the the French flag. So I would say then. This is uh, part of uh, this uh, uh, incredible uh, uh, and creative campaign, and you mentioned, uh, I mean, of publicity, of, of advertising. So, I mean, Maggie everywhere, everywhere in France we're talking about. This, this image is a little bit later. Those are probably already the 20s, but it's, it shows on the on the right side the uh, Société Letière Magie, so Magie in the middle of Paris, across the the Opera House, main 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 heart of uh, Le cœur de Paris. So um, we need to say then then, I mean, this incredible uh, campaign. Uh, let me just check here with the chrono. I think you have some of you have some copies I saw of the chrono. Now, 1912, the bouillon cube is, support, support, is supported by major promotional actions to publicize this new product. Tastings in the street, demonstration trucks, parade, as you saw, uh, with advertising floats, posters. Uh, automats, this is an interesting, automats they were distributing uh, the bouillon cubes on the streets on the boulevards uh, for sure sandwich men, so everywhere and, and specifically the enameled I don't know how you pronounce exactly the, the, the metal plates those metal plates that we see here actually the blue one is, is the oldest one, okay but the other one just came after so it there is a fact and saying that it's more the, it was more, by that time, 1912, uh, more than one million of those plates in the country, in, in the whole France. So that's a lot, that's a lot. So um, what, what's happened? I mean, this is part of this uh, uh, incredible um, uh, magic, magic confusing, if I can say it. Uh, I also, I mean, it's because the, um, I mean, that that f- information that gave this this advertising was intended. I mean, it was just to publicize. But French, with that moment they thought that was part of those invasion, those German invasion. So, and all this is a coincidence, and this is the, what is interesting. So we see here one of the on the left the, one of the metal uh, plays, and we're talking, and w- one sticker, a sticker from the time, of course, called Papillon, actually, it was an, interesting, who says uh, uh, Francais French, be awake, be aware, sorry, by buying from Maggie in Germany, you give rifles. So this is a kind of literary translation. And so already here we are close to this transformation from magic to tragic. I mean, this is something then that is really clear, then it's going to turn wrong. I mean, in August 3rd of the same year, Germany declared the war to France. So during during the five nights in Paris, the mob um, destroyed all the places, all the shops, the laboratories. I mean, there was a big, big reaction. So that was like the first uh, a statement, uh, a bellic statement when the war starts. And right away, um, we have, of course, those, uh, uh, how I can say it, the, the competition. I mean, the competition, who is very interesting. See what the, the label on the left side says Francaise, plus de bouillon KK. Perhaps you can. It, interact and saying about the KK, plus de potash KK, three times. So uh, no magic, no magic, and no chemic. But of course, the K, the importance of the K, the K becomes a cube, becomes, a, you know, for, for this, that K is connected to the Kaiser, to all the, and, and, uh, and, uh, and this is what after, you know, they had to do a deal after the war, because if not, they will not survive. Maggie had to move from the K to the C, to the, K, to the cube, from the cube K to... The, so it's like the, you know, it's again, we're moving from C to K. This like the, So it's quite interesting, this sort of uh, a, a incredible c- confusion and tension. And we could uh, see once that said that, that tragic moment of the war. Because let's talk about, I mean, all those metal plates were dismantled, of course. I mean, there was, there was clear, clear for them that this was a, 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 a part of this German invasion. So anyway, let's go back to the aesthetics, where I am perhaps more in my field. So this is one of the wonderful uh, art de triomphe made of uh, and of course part of that uh, campaign that now uh, we're saying uh, the publicity campaign the food trucks and this uh way to to set distribution oh no degustation degustation, degustation gratuite who was actually it was everywhere, you know, when they presented in Paris and the Universal uh, Fair, in uh, the, the other international fairs, whatever, in, in many places, Marseille, Barcelona, Sevilla, every place in the pavilion had that degustation gratuite, so you, everyone can have a free taste of Maggi. Look at the diversity and, uh, and this uh, incredible, um, all these graphic designers working on that and here some uh, some nice uh, uh, pieces from uh, from that time we're talking 1930s here of course the uh, kind of bombing uh, bombing the the city from the uh, maggie sky uh, uh perhaps uh, 40s already The wonderful uh, uh, that we close to for 50s, 56 actually, Sauvignac, uh, fantastic uh, designer, graphic designer. The Crème de Beau, Potage Le Nouveau, and of course, incorporating everywhere all the clichés, you know, the children's. The families, for sure. Look at this uh, uh, heavy duty uh, uh, charge, you know, of, of flavors, of uh, of magic, and in every way. I mean, that by that time, everywhere. This is in Spain. Uh, I mean, La Nen- No, in, in Catalonia. California. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> so, <laughs> la nena ya sabe que el caldo Maggie es la marca de calidad. It's always the same message, you know. I mean, that's the that's the best. That's the unique. That's that's your taste. Then the people start to believe. Then their taste, their own taste, their personal taste is Maggie. So it becomes a, a kind of propriety. This uh, probably is uh, Argentina. And going back to this uh, cliche uh, gender, I mean, this is an old one, beautiful uh, posters, and we're going to something much more, uh, uh, I mean, uh, uh, the time of the 50s, uh, 50s, 60s, and it's quite interesting how uh, the certain way these, um, uh, I mean, you see this, a svelte uh, and, and a thin uh, uh, lady next to this gras, the gras, the fat. Fatty broth. Uh, <laughs> broth. Yeah, <coughs> on the plate. And vive la liberté, of course. Mm-hmm. Et vive le bon potage. what a What a statement, a statement, Oh, this is a yes. fascinating one, yes. Because here this heavy everything. This is kind of homey, domestic, haunted, uh, uh, camouflated, and is connected to the cordon bleu. So the cordon bleu is the top, top culinary uh, layer in, the culi- in, in French, for sure. So uh, here we are on the 60s already, of course. We are later. And, and, and getting, you know, going forward in the 60s, Again, uh, those uh, French style, uh, the mm-hmm. de Charme, uh, découvrez tous les saveurs. Charme could be translated by Char- uh, Charme. charme. Like you said Tom. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, right. and here we have, on the 60s, <laughs> by the end of the 60s, <laughs> we have uh, Maggie who appropriates the uh, 1968 movement. The movement liberation of the, of the of the femme, hmm? The movement the liberation de la femme et, and it gets the ma who liberates the, 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 the Femme. so I think this is a kind of a classic uh, a message for uh, for the whole <laughs> for the whole project then it 's coming now so let 's move to something else. This is the event then uh, was the very beginning of uh, our intent of collecting the materials and of doing that fanzine that became a book, then became a project. I mean, we don't know yet exactly 're looking for publisher. Mm-hmm. So, uh, <laughs> And uh, the event happens in, in the Little Haiti. Little Haiti, the Little Haiti uh, in Miami. Or I could set the uh, the T I the T E T. So this is the Creole name for a for the little A-T. Known, it's a parking lot. Uh, we have on the on close the parking lot of the Exile Books, who was one of the producers of them, of our project. So we have a table, a long table. Behind the table, it's sort of display table. Behind is the kitchen, and this was part. Of this event, I mean the, the starting point of the event in that public space in the middle of the little Haiti, and that was the idea involving the community. It was set like an altar a little bit. Uh, the different products uh, were prepare, uh, the different dishes. It was prepared behind the, the table by the school, by the, the Miami Institute, uh, Miami College, uh, Miami Lake College Institute. So there were great kids uh, walking during hours and hours, collecting the different types of maggies in the city. And this is exactly like it looks a place, you know? Kitchen and gathering and tasting of shun. And at the entrance, everyone received uh, a, uh, a collier, uh, a sort of present, a sort of talisman, a necklace, yes. A talisman, if I can say. Who they can, of course, keep it, or cook, or, or put it on the bouillon for the breakfast, next breakfast. And all the space was sort of surrounded by those messages, by those posters, then, uh, then we designed. English, Spanish, and, of course, Creole. And as you can see in the area, I mean, we're talking, so the little Haiti, we see the wonderful uh, botanicas behind. Uh, I should say then uh, I'd like to show you a few uh, graphics of those botanicas uh, because they sell the maggie. Cubes of the Botanicas for sure, besides all the herbs and the saints and the and the literature and the, so uh, they were very much connected. And this was the first time that they felt they're connected because you know this is an area who's now in changing a lot, centrifugation. I mean, these those murals are gone, finished, those murals are now it's all white and the space is for renting. So this is just Across the street of what uh, the event happens, and this is the community. This is the this is the lady, one of the owners of the botanicas, who came and who was uh, uh, spontaneous serving what she called the meli melo, which a very kind of a no name for, uh, and the meli melo is the uh, sort of a, aphrodisiac uh, kind of. Um, uh, for garçons, for sure. I mean, this is what it says. So, uh, the, the bottle. So, you know, she was sort of warming up everyone and uh, improvising and giving that free to everyone. So, let's see the menu. goes from, uh, you know, New Zealand, uh, uh, Central America, Mexico, ha- Haiti, modern, the black pearls. I mean, like, you know, uh, Ferran Adria uh, Maggi kind of a connection. The Maggi John John. The Pao de Queijo, made of Maggi, too. The Shala, the Shala Maggi uh, bread. And all those were prepared by the kids of the school. So it was interesting, the school, you know, to work on a such of a project. Of course, the black beans uh, connected to Cuba. The, the Mediterranean Connection, the Thailand, Ecuador, the shrimp, the ceviche, a good ceviche, and the, wow, great, the boiled peanuts with maggie. They was fantastic, yes. And, of course, the Chicago Connection, Chicago Barrio, the maggie jelly peanut butter. And three more sophisticated pieces on the buffet, who was the cocktails. You know, the Imaging cocktail, the maggie bloody... Mark cocktail, and uh, those were prepared by uh, uh, a very a sort of uh, um, known and prestigious chef in Barcelona. So here we are. We jump into Barcelona. I asked him to prepare the, the recipes for those uh, cocktails. So that's how the the Imagine cocktail looks, with the bacon on top. This is the. So, how the buffet was set up. Wow, it was so good, the coconut, the muggy coconut. Oh, oh, and some of, uh, of the friends who came to celebrate and mix. It was very, very, very interesting because that's what I am really, myself, very interested in. I think that's what we, part of our work together now, is really involving people and trying to, to cross uh, different cultures. And, and the interesting thing is that the, the, the lady you saw uh, doing this de- free- Meli Melo distribution and with his husband came and brought all those foods, of course. I'm sure the foods were prepared with magi too, but so there was not plan at all. This was totally a beautiful uh, coincidence and surprise. And the music, very, very important. The music, the music, the Rara band. The raraban are sort of ceremonial, uh, much more connected to, I don't know if this will work. Hey. It's connected to Easter time, so it has to do about the cycle. As you can see, the syncretism eh? mm-hmm. between Cuban um, La Mexico and Lavana playing. No, 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 So, at the end of the degustation of the gathering, we went. We did a small procession around the area. So we, square, we went all uh, around the 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 area. It was incredible because nobody really uh, did that before. And you know, people were invited. The neighbors came, and they were all joining. And there was a mix of. uh, uh, art uh, gallery, friends, Haitians, and uh, it was a quite, quite amazing uh, experience. Of course, with uh, the Rara uh, band falling. So uh, let's move to some uh, sort of uh, more serious stuff, if I can say. Um, yeah, I sort of. There is many, many uh, manifestations that has to do with art. And uh, we choose uh, only uh, sort of three pieces because there is a lot of, I mean, also for our time. So uh, this is uh, uh, an artist, uh, Italo-Senegalese uh, artist, young, um, then did a, a Dakar a presentation at the Biennale of Dakar. Uh, her name is Adi Irielle. And the uh, interesting of her is then she's, uh, she is um, a sort of uh, working on the community, uh, very critical social, social, uh, cultural, uh, politic, critic. And she set a kind of a, a, a kiosco, kind of a place, like a photograph studio. This is very much in the, in the tradition of, uh, of the photography in Africa. And asked a few ladies uh, uh, to uh, be there to sort of uh, perform. And, uh, and what is interesting is that she prepared that sort of camouflated uh, Maggie uh, logo. So at the background, it doesn't say Maggie. It, said, it says magic. So uh, again, we are, we are in the magic. And that's very much, I think, what this is about. I mean, those incredible uh, uh, mixtures and the same time as a, uh, kind of uh, messages. And of course, there's a lot of behind those pictures. Now, another artist that we really love and, uh, and he's actually connected to, very much to, to Chicago because he teaches here, is Michael Rakovich. And this is uh, one of his pieces, uh, The Invisible Enemy. Uh, those pieces are, in a certain way, a kind of a reconstruction of disappeared monuments. Monuments had been destroyed by the war, monuments had been, you know, forgetted. And he used food packaging. And main the red, all the red, yellow uh, bezels are the Maggie again we we have the Maggie another artist we're talking about 1970s, uh, who did a sort of a, uh, homage uh, to um, to Maggie is boys, joseph boyss uh, i mean it's, it's quite a uh, a a masterpiece because it's a kind of diplomatic uh, suitcase with those those messages um, about, you know, how to, um, I mean, that can, uh, that uh, critical of the, you said this critical of the pure raison? Yeah, uh, critique of pure reason. Pure reason, Mm. yeah. And, um, and, um, I mean, it's sort of going. Th- let's go through some other things because if not, we'll we'll never end it. So, um, are we doing okay? Good. Oh yeah. Oh, we have a great clock there. Well. So anyway, let's go to cornucopia. So what's cornucopia? Well, keep calm and eat Maggie. That's it. And. Don't, don't stop to eat Maggie. Aga maravillas con el puré de patatas. Maggie takes the health route. Saborea tu casa, my home sweet home. Home Maggie, home. And of course, that uh, universal uh, way to spread the publicity. And, um, and also interesting how Maggie went through this culinary height uh, Culinary top. I mean, you know, this is a club culinario, very top in in Spain, and mm, big chefs. I mean, big important chef uh, with the stars, Michelin stars. I mean, Carlos Arrignano, who has a Arignano has a Arignano, me, has a, a television program very very popular in Spain, doing demonstration of Maggie or Arzac, another very close friend from Ferran Adrià, whatever, and. Let's say something that I think is important for all those messages we have here, at the very, at the middle, we have a merry season, seasoning is not a spice, not a sauce, not a coloring, not a condiment. It has the unique quality of multiplying and accentuating the delicious natural flavor of the food itself. So what a lie, wonderful. (laughs) I mean, it's just uh, amazing. So all those messages are sort of uh, here in those. This is like, a, again, one of the co- like the Ten Commandments. You know, in many cases, few dashes of Maggi seasonings increases the palatability. whatever. So let's move to some of the recipes that we collect. I think this one inspired uh in this one, John eh, beautiful. We're going to taste later. Um, this is more a, a, a kind of 20s. Uh, uh, because part of that publicity, um, big campaign, it was making the recipes, making food, food recipes. Pure de zanahorias, claro. Mm, the carrot uh, puree. The chaka. Chaka was a very uh, good, 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 very good Haitian uh, di- uh, dish with red beans and dried corn, and a special uh, pig feet or part of the f- fig the, the pork then is salted and dried, and this is a very very much a classic piece uh, in the cu- in the in the in the good uh, home Haitian food, uh, and of course the stuffed tomatoes. Can you imagine? Each tomato has so much so much of mag inside. And the Solomino, eh, the, uh, the, uh, the tenderloin, pork, pork tenderloin, yeah, with, uh, with the current sauce. I'm going fast. If you want, after you know, if you are interested, we can talk about and because if we need to read, and then and we will. So uh, let's move on to, I mean, of course, to finish this part, this segment, we have a, the Bloody Maggie. Uh, Very simple, you know, salsa picante and uh, vodka and tomato juice and uh, you mix it and that's incredible good. Um, So let's move to this uh, incredible, again, um, mixture of uh, origins and and, and connections of the Maggi that we talk about. Here we have uh, in the Equatorial Guinea, um, the market. We have uh, in Mali. We have uh, Jamaica. Gambia. Nigeria. Vietnam. India. Again, Jamaica. The Madagascar, look at that mural, that house, isn't that beautiful? There are many pictures of the Senegal because they are very, very proud of their magi. Again, Mali. Finally, Bolivia, the Latino. El sabor de la comida boliviana, el comedor popular. And on top, you said Jesus. I mean, this is a kind of message of uh, to help it. everything get mixed on the pot. Everything, Maggie and Jesus, <laughs> India, the Gambia, and Caracas. Look at that. I mean, the 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 city um, distribute uh, paintings. You know, to paint. Like that, this operation was done in many other places, in actually in, in La Habana, in Cuba, but they painted because who, who pay, who, who is not the city who pays, it's Maggie who pay the paint. So yeah. And of course the food trucks, I mean the food truck or the, or the mobile, the mobile, uh, this is in, in Turkey. But the mo- in Venezuela, the same. This is, it was a big campaign. This is, of course, is recent. All this is, we're talking about uh, 80s, 90s, and uh, I mean, it's still on, of course. The, the trucks are moving on. Another, another uh, version of that of the, food, of the food truck. And the publicity. La Habana. And again, that monument, uh, city monument, on top of this penthouse in Caracas. And another talking about monuments, please, Germany. You sh- you should tell us about something about that. <laughs>
1: I've never seen anything like that before. But... <laughs>
2: <laughs> Afghanistan. Some of the speeches that have credits, only very very few. All the other ones for this we call this chapter uh, Google Ma- Google Magic. They're all. Pictures stole from the, from the computer, from, stole from the gaggle, from, from Google. I mean, they are there, you know? I don't know who did it. Great pictures. Of course, Haiti. There is not taste without Maggie. So again, what, exactly what you said, food doesn't taste itself. You need Maggie. And this series uh, of Senegal who are quite interesting and all about the star, the lady becoming the star. Mali again, and the Nigeria, yeah, the Nigeria campaign. Every woman is a star, actually, this is more clear. I make most water. Big signs. Please, taste of culture, be aware, be aware about that. Next, taste of culture. The real woman, real star, real Maggie, real woman, and and of course not only taste of culture but also taste of distinction. This is this is top. I mean, <laughs> and Maggie Arabia, uh, Turkey, uh, India, and Mexico. Look at this. Uh, <laughs> This status, this uh, the cluster. I mean, the India, India Maria, is saying to the white, you know, usted también, patroncita, patroncita, patron, I mean, cocine con cuadripollo, 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 four times the chicken. I mean, can you imagine one chicken on top of the other one, the other one, the other one? All this is in one cube. Para todos sus parientes, and of course, she isn't the one in the kitchen, She's the, he's the one who does the job. Again, Arabia. The journey of new experiences. Join us. The culinary journey. And, and in India, who again, we are here starting the whole series of the, the family business, the kids, the the you know the reactions of uh, uh, how you know this look at that Vietnam uh, uh, um, way to present the family so artistically made again tasting reveals no excess lit in the maggi noodles. Another campaign, incredible.
1: Refers to the scandal a few years ago when, uh, but you have images coming, in. Yeah? We'll talk about yeah, it. Yeah. Cool,
2: great. The India again, look at this character. He really needs a lot of Maggie, huh? <laughs> and again, uh, uh, Haiti. Dans ma cuisine et dans tous mes plats je mets de la Rome. China. Thailand. Look at. I mean, that not, not popular art, Malaysia. Uh, and this is our favorite, yeah. This is, uh, I mean, you know, this is not a, a bag of uh, of uh, uh, vegetables and or potatoes. or um, yummy is the is the, the part of the Maggie on top of the head. And of course, the beauty, the, the, the beauty, uh, Miss Ghana, all Maggie, the Magilan part of the queen of the Magellan. And Let's celebrate the celebration, the Maggie chicken celebration in Nigeria. Abdijan uh, in Ivoire, um, Cote d'Ivoire. And the cooking caravan is arriving, so let's share. At the Cote d'Ivoire, let's share the Maggie. Okay, so that's it. Let's, the, let's go, let's move from the celebration to, uh, because now we have the timing, uh, to something, uh, uh, well, so much more about the schools, of course. Santo Domingo, yes, yes. In the Peru, the football, yes, the team, the whole Maggie part of Maggie, And, Ending. This is for Stefan, uh, dedicated to Stefan, <laughs> OK? Good. So let's go to the pantry. So what's the pantry? The pantry is a, is a segment of the publication which who is kind of open segment. That's the one Then, please, if you have any ideas, any photos, any, any feedback, any recipes, you know, we'll go here. So here we have photos that came from France, from London. London. Uh, this is in uh, New York. In, uh, actually, is in um, in um, in um, Bronx, My, uh, Miami. On the left, we have the John John Maggie. I mean, it's on the right and the left, we had the cubes. You can see the black cubes. The beautiful designer. And here is interesting because the the another brand, you know, the family brand, the Far- Faragello. Is next to the the mud uh, the mud cakes? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was uh, sort of a nutritional and uh, and, uh, and traditional.
1: It's well, it's <clears throat> partly. I mean, you know, the eating mud is known as uh, pica, but uh, it's in, in in the Haitian case, it's both uh, a traditional famine uh, food substitute. But it's it's actually you know as you can see even being sold as, as something that people
2: desire, and and it came from Haiti of course. So they all broke here, but usually there are like galettes. They call the galettes, and they're made of mud. I saw to make a dam in in Haiti. I see. So let's go to Chicago. The old wall. This all this we find with Peter. Peter, where you are? Yeah, we find this in whatever in one week ago hmm? at the La Fla, Fruteria, wonderful place. Kong Onga. This is actually a photo by Peter with a different uh, uh, Polish uh, connections. Like um,
1: Polish sisters.
2: <laughs> yeah, this is a big family. Look at that. I mean, it's amazing, amazing. Sazon completo, hot, hot. I uh, means, again, the jugo, the Latino, and the, and, the, and the Polish. Australia, Sydney. And, again, the noodles, but in, in uh, Chicago. And, well, let's go to some facts. And uh, I think, what are the facts? I mean, we sort of choose two, three uh, pieces to talk a little bit. <clears throat>
1: yeah, this is, of course, you may be aware of the, you know, major scandal which uh, uh, broke out a few years ago, actually two or three years ago, uh, <clears throat> around, uh, you know, supposed lead content in uh, Indian, um, in, in Maggi uh, instant noodles uh, sold in India and uh, had fairly violent uh, repercussions. I mean, not only was, you know, massive amounts of Maggi products were recalled, but they were actually set on fire. And you have an image of that, don't yeah. you? Yeah, yeah, yeah here. here. You see, so um, this is, I mean, <clears throat> Maggie, then, I mean, you saw that uh, image before about, uh, you know, sort of no higher lead content. And uh, there, there's a great yeah. phrase here. Mm-hmm. Uh, the FSDA had collected the samples from the Easy Day store in Barab-Monkey and had set, sent the consignment for testing, which showed that the quantum of lead. Present was 17 times more than the stipulated limit, which is considered hazardous. But what is the stipulated limit? We don't know. Who and who stipulates the limit? I mean, this is of course, you know, I mean, food adulteration is a, is a long, long-standing topic, and uh, and has been, you know, historically also, you know, um, uh, cause of, you know, major. Sp- Social upheavals, one can say, yeah. And uh, the magi uh, fight against magi monster. I mean, this is uh, this was very serious uh, because, and magi tried or Nestlé tried very hard to uh, keep it from spreading out of India, at least, you know, and uh, contain it there, which I think they succeeded. And then, you know, they had major. Uh, uh, wrangles with the Indian government uh, in order to uh, allow them to put their products back on, on the shelf and of course massive publicity campaigns had to be uh, uh, taken in order to um, you know make Maggi palatable again.
2: So we move to the next fact. Oh
0: no, Can I just add something? Because you know when I was looking for recipes the other day yep. I came upon some Indian blogs and they were saying you know what disappeared. All of my childhood now, in this context, I'm wondering if it was even maybe somewhat of a plant-based
1: message. Uh, I, I, I can, well, what I'm saying is:
0: yeah. is I came mm. across this Indian block.
1: Yeah, yeah. About the yes. And, yeah. Well,
2: it's, mm-hmm. and
0: they were saying, if they, if they were outlawed,
2: all oh, of my favorite Chinese yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. would disappear. But, uh, but that was a time. And I think that yeah, I that, yeah, that's connected, that's related. And mm-hmm. what was very, very uh, kind of big decision, then there was a forbidden at uh, the army, and the, the soldiers. Mm-hmm. 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 So, yeah. you know, because probably this is what everyday menu. So it was forbidden, in, not in the Kazan, no more the soldiers, will not eat more Maggie because that, and the children. So, so yes, that's, I'm sure this is this thing, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in fact, at one point, I kept only getting
1: Maggie India blog posts. Mm-hmm. Massive well, amount minus on the web. Just other countries. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Well this happened I think then I know, but perhaps we'll find out in India and and they one of the enterprise that were again following the magic uh, creativity did bricks for building so a massive destruction of, of the of the of the Maggie cubes and making bricks for building, oh. mm. so was mm. so much about that campaign. But all this was organized and, and packed fact and uh, business, and I'm sure there was some, oh, yeah. one, mm. some money behind and everything fixed. And everyone everyone is eating again Maggie, so no, no problem. Yeah. Don't 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 worry about. It. So let's go to the the next fact.
1: Uh, this, this is one of the most bizarre things that you can find on the web because uh, you know, I, I don't know when it began spreading, but uh, it's kind of like something of an urban legend that uh, in this case, the uh, Democratic Republic of the Congo, women use uh, muggy cubes as suppositories in order to supposedly enlarge their buttocks. It's, uh, I, 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 you know, it's, uh, it is what it is, but you can find it on the web.
2: Yeah, you have the Maliweb.net, mm-hmm. And there are videos uh, of uh, music videos. There's one incredible, was a hit. Then was very, very few years ago. Why are we talking? So it's like uh, at, the, at, the, at that hit, at that song, uh, very famous kind of rock pop. It was saying then. Uh, I mean, I don't... Sorry, I didn't bring that as a song. Uh, um, it's saying then, you, know, uh, you know, what's happened with you because, you know what, six of the packets disappeared from my kitchen. So, you know, now we have only one packet for cooking. The other one, when it went, went away. So the other one, they use as the suppositories. We're going to a uh, next fact.
1: Uh, this is wonderful. I mean, this very, very recently, um, Second uh, of August uh, of 2019, uh, the um, which um, uh, French newspapers reported a a, a wonderful heist where uh, two women entered a, a very upscale um, jewelry store in Paris, uh, pretending that they were. Um, princesses from some emirate or, or the Arab emirate or, or the other and you know then uh, asked to be shown the collection or to actually sort of just, you know, I, I think they just let them into the collection and uh, after they had left, uh, they discovered, uh, you know, the jewelers discovered that they had replaced diamonds with muggy cubes. <laughs> And got away with it. Uh, yep. I, I think they haven't been arrested. Often. No, no,
2: I didn't had news. So, uh, and
1: then, you know, the, the, the I mean, just you see the amount of money. I mean, I, uh, it's one point three million of jewelry. Yeah, that they,
2: but know. the interesting is the whole. I think I mean, checking the newspapers. There are many many newspapers if you if you Google, uh, in French, and you know saying the whole. Scenography, You know, the princess, uh, the other one, the limousine with a, with a guardian, whatever, the other one coming, calling his, uh, his uh, the king or I don't know who, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. saying, well, this costs that, that and that. And so we'll come back tomorrow of making the deal. So the whole thing was a, an incredible scenography for doing that. Change, a change of jewelry, because Maggie is a jewelry, you know, this is this is the identity for them, this is part of that taste, so this bringing, leaving that little cubes in te- and taking back all those diamonds home, so it's yeah, like,
1: it's a, like uh, Maggie is a girl's best friend. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Good, so that's a picture of what's happened actually, you know, I would love to attribute to myself that as an artwork that Stalin... Mm-hmm. Happening, but uh, I was not there. You know, this is just (laughs) pure fiction, like Maggie. And uh, that's it. Okay, well, thank you. Peter would like to add something. But if you would do it
3: to the microphone, that would be so much better. So the last uh, few weeks I've had the great pleasure of attending class, uh, Stefan and Meralda's class at the UC. And I had the even greater pleasure of of, uh, going around a Saturday uh, shopping for Maggi with Miralda and uh, watching him snatch up the very few uh, products that he doesn't already have in his collection. But I think I have one that he, doesn't have. So uh, I'd like to present the uh, special edition. Oh, oh
2: please. <laughs> a smile, please. A smile, please, <laughs>
1: smile. Thank you so wonderful, much. Wonderful, Peter. Thank, Thank you.
2: you. <laughs> I love it. Polish. Po- is it from Poland? Yes. Oh, smiley. We couldn't find that one, so that's, yeah, that's, that's it. that's special edition. Thank you so much. Wow. So we'll go to the the Food Culture Archive in Barcelona, <laughs> and you can all come to check, not only the magi, there's many, many other things there. Any questions?
0: I have a quick question, I'm from Vietnam, so I know a lot about growing up eating soy sauce and magi together. I never thought, you know, like, uh, I, I thought they are the same thing, like, from the same ingredients,
3: but now I know it, it's not, it's
0: totally different.
1: Yeah. yeah I mean, uh, let me ask you, uh, French-style beef,
0: you know,
1: uh, or shaking beef. Uh, yeah. The sauce is muggy-based, right? Please. You should like so you oh, Yeah, so, sorry, uh, you know, uh, shaking beef or French-style beef, uh, the sauce is muggy-based, right? You know, the sauce that you usually get on inside. Yeah, does that make it more French, or uh, is that the French no, style? No, Calvary, yeah, 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 sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, colonialism, of course, yeah. yeah, so yeah. So Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Bami is, uh, you know, it's a classic fusion dish yes. in the sense. But I always thought that
0: the soy. I thought it was the same place, like from China.
1: Mm hmm.
3: Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yes? Oh, okay. So, we're not talking mm-hmm. somebody who. You know, mm hmm. No, and I've been a fan since yeah, yeah. 1975. It's been my secret ingredient. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. <You> no know, idea like, <laughs> the whole world, So, okay. <laughs> can you please repeat the name of the book?
0: Yes, I'll send it to you. I'll get your card. Oh,
2: thank Thank you so much. Oh, super, super. Well, well, thank you very much.
1: Uh, Were you talking about the liquid seasoning or the the liquid? And he even calls for it in almost every recipe in his book, and it's very Swiss and French and everything. Uh He calls. I'm trying to remember, yeah, I'm trying to remember now. I, I, the only friend I hung on to was Maggie. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. Um,
0: growing up, I've always sort of been aware of Maggie as a brand, sort of on the shelf, usually kind of in the international section. Any thoughts on why, it, at least in my experience, it, it never really caught on here as a
1: staple ingredient? Any idea why? That's a good question. I mean, you know, I know that, uh, you know, in, in terms of... I mean, there, there, are, there are American bullion cubes uh, around. Uh, and, um, you know, I just said... I mean, at the jewels, you, you won't find muggy. You know, the, the cubes or the seasoning. But you will find Knorr products, which, I don't know. I mean, uh, perhaps... Mm-hmm. and some will say no
2: to that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That could be why it's Norah and not Maggie mm-hmm. as well. hmm But you think doesn't have the same language no, here just, as right. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: No, I mean, um, well, it, you know, I'm also thinking maybe, uh, you know, Americans use a lot more canned uh, broth than uh, most Europeans. I and mean, it's actually not that easy to find canned broth in uh, several European countries, so uh, it could be that... Um, I mean, it wouldn't explain anything about the liquid seasoning, but uh, why that hasn't caught on, and uh, it may have something to do, perhaps, with uh, the idea that Americans use soy sauce more than, uh, than any other kind of... Uh, not as a condiment, but uh, as a kind of flavoring uh, agent. But it's it's really a good question. To uh, I mean, this would be something to talk to Nestle about because uh, you know they ought to have a vested interest in you know spreading their products to such an enormous market. So yeah, mm-hmm. Robert. Mm-hmm. I,
3: I'm wondering whether that may partly be due to the whole brouhaha about monosodium glutamate yeah. for um, a long time monosodium glutamate was, was blamed for what was called Chinese restaurants yeah. <laughs> you were know, people feeling full immediately afterwards and, after, and, and a little
1: headaches, and migraine and, mm. and
3: others from from overuse of monosodium glutamate although that, that apparently has been questioned but uh, I noticed yeah. some of some of the advertisements for Maji had you know, attention monosocial yeah, yeah. Roommate, yeah, yeah. And, and I'm wondering whether that didn't contribute to the fact that, that Maji was, was not
1: not uh, uh, taken up here in, in the United States as much as elsewhere. Gentlemen in the back. Uh old world market right on Winona and, and Broadway.
2: In the corner. The crossing. Is that is
3: that the place to go for a wide range of mining products? Or?
1: No, just two. Mm. They have like the basic and then they have the hold on the like, what is the cheapest price. Hey. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Fagi, uh, but there's a Filipino population up there related to uh, the base at North Chicago, there was a Mexican bagi, mm-hmm. but in the same area was a Mexican bagi huh? oh I'm sorry, um, so it depends on where you go, I went to an Italian store that does exactly only Italian products, I'm wondering if I would see something from Italy, Fagi, I know nothing. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the liquid seasoning—I I had this in my manuscript here. Uh, uh, at Old World Market um, has Old World Market has a German, a Chinese, and a Mexican version of the liquid seasoning. Or well, I had it, uh, you know, last year, but. Um, <coughs> mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And is there irony
1: in this or is it just about the beauty of the art you know, the, of the presentation that you see all over the world with the yellow and the red? Well, no, I mean, uh it, you know, I I think I, I hope I make clear that, um you know, People ultimately, uh, you know, we have limited choices uh, in our day-to-day lives. Most of us, you know, since we're not uh, primary producers of our food for, for the most part. And, uh, and of course, we are in, in many ways at the mercy of, you know, of, um, food giants like uh, Nestle or Unilever or, you know, whatever else we can think of. But... It's still a fact that even though um, you know, sort of, these um, companies try to—I uh, mean, they, they do all this—you know—culinary sort of research about what products people might buy, and you know, a lot of our—you uh, know—industrially produced food is—you know—heavily engineered in, in in ways that you know we don't really perceive. So that um, you know, uh, certain kinds of chocolate or potato chips—you know—are example that I can think of are. Uh, produced in a fashion that uh, you know, sort of, um, they produce a great mouthfeel initially, and then once you swallow it, uh, you know, they, they leave a kind of uh, unsatisfactory aftertaste, which you can only remedy by eating more of this stuff. But, uh, but nonetheless, I think you know, one of the um, one of the I think beautiful uh, parts of this story, or you know, the more positive parts of the story, because by and large, it's a, it's a story about industrial capitalism. Uh, is that uh, people, nonetheless, you know, make culinary choices of their own, and whether you know they build muggy into a diet, where um, you know, surely Nestle profits from it, but they uh, they do so in very specific ways that are uh, not predetermined by uh, you know global market forces, and that's that's I think where you know so you can say that this is also a story of a bit of a story about human culinary ingenuity as well, so it's, um, you know, that, if anything, is perhaps
2: the ironic part. And if I can add, uh, also, I mean, it's behind this project, we've seen this project like also an art project, and I think, you know, this is what I think is about art, Art artists what make people the possibility to think about, you know, just to because uh, that's not an exaltation, that's not a celebration of Maggie. I mean, we saw a lot of people celebrating, but yes, this is what you and everyone that we're talking and think about Maggie, you know, and, and a reflection, you know, what, I think it's depending of you, your culture, your, your background, and, uh, and, uh, and there's so much um, information and misinformation, you know, around, But it's true, I mean, that's part of the globalization, absolutely. talk about the connection with the umami there, because the glutamato so the umami comes all this new taste and, and you see now there is a publicity very interesting publicity then introducing already and it's paid by, by, by the company it's, it's introducing that tongue with the, with the umami uh, uh, section you know and it's not only about, about the other four it's about now this fifth uh, coming on I think you had a question
1: no i mean but you know i i think that's probably um i mean to, to some degree uh, you know the, the availability of meat uh uh and and the cheapness of you know the i mean the extravagant cheapness of meat here in this country uh, in comparison to probably anywhere else in the world uh is uh you know may make for uh, less a need for a meat substituting taste formula, right? You know, sort of where, you know, the meatiness of a stew, for example, you know, comes from the, from the meat itself, perhaps, less from the, uh, from the, from Maggi or other kinds of condiments. But, I mean, covering a bad taste of, uh, you know, meat that's gone off is really a very, uh, largely a myth because most cuisines, do, that that use heavy spicing, don't do so for reasons uh, of, uh, I mean, this is even, you know, the the, the story about, for example, medieval recipes, which are full of crazy spice mixtures that we would associate with gingerbread in savory dishes that have meat in them. And it's not about, you know, lack of refrigeration or anything like that. It is because these spices were a source of prestige. You know, that's, you know, that's really the reason for why, you know, I mean, some, we still have some old, some remnants of, you know, these, uh, you know, mincemeat, for example, would be, uh, you know, something that falls into that category, or some, uh, some sausages, especially European-style sausages, which often have things in them like maize or coriander or, you know, sort of you know, spices that you w- would not necessarily associate with savory dishes. So um, this, it's not about not necessarily about the quality of the meat, uh, but but it's an interesting thought that hmm, hmm? maybe
0: the quality
1: of the cook's efforts. That, that, that too, but it, but you can also overspice things. Yeah, yeah, the, the availability of meat. Right. No. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, surely, I mean, you know, sort of, uh, you know, if you want to make a soup, you know, there it is, your meat. I mean, you... Mm-hmm. But,
3: but you had photos of Maggi in Argentina, which has to be a, a country yeah, yeah, sure. more. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, that's true. Argentina would be a, a country example, but uh, but they use Maggi. So I think we'll break it off, because we could we can talk one on one
0: later. Yeah. Uh, Joan, you want to talk about what you made? Uh, yeah, I made... The recipe, I don't know where you got it, Amaralda, but I followed it exactly, except instead of green peppers, I used red, because I don't like green peppers. <laughs> but we'll know the difference. And it's very vile, and I think the reason we it is because it's you know, whipped cream and white sauce and a lot of ham, and it doesn't really have to. So I think you've never had this recipe before, right? Know, It'll be no. the first time he's trying it. Oh, it falls nice. into the category of those dishes you see on the internet. Ooh, who would eat that? Well, we're going to find out today. <laughs> <laughs> and I it's There's nothing wrong with it. It's <coughs> not a American recipe at all. You don't think take the picture. And Joe did some
2: really nice styling. So you have to appreciate the presentation. Good, great. Uh,
0: I pronounce that John, John, the... It,
2: pronounce
0: yeah. John, John, yeah. Okay, John, John, that's the Haitian Mushroom rice, I made two versions. One, both In both cases, I used the, 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 the Maggi mm-hmm. John John cubes, but one of them also has the mushrooms in it. The other one doesn't. The one with the mushrooms also has the uh, habanero pepper. It was supposed to be scotch bonnet, but at this time of year, that's a little tough to find. But habanero, not so tough to find. And this was one of those situations, by the way, you're looking for what is the authentic recipe, and that's not always easy sometimes the recipes that end up you find the same recipe repeated multiple times or you find somebody who does the chefy interpretation like they're adding coconut milk and they're putting things in there that may not necessarily go slivered carrots um, but in this case uh, the one that's plain and that will be in the pot which i'm going to pull out of my cooler that's the one that's really just flavored from the really from the moggy cubes and the other one will be the but I mean, the, the, it was just wild. Like, I ended up using um, pigeon peas. Because people were alternating between peas or lima beans. But when somebody said pigeon peas, that sounded more like what was there in that country. And Deb made the kanji um, the, um, so that you can sample. And we have multiple bottles sitting there on the table. I also have a big box full of the mushroom cubes if you want to take one home. I don't have one for everybody, necessarily, but you know. And I read somewhere there was a there's a roasted chicken with that sauce made with that with the mushroom cube, which I have to go ahead and down. And one final thing. I just wanted to say that I use the, the liquid for, for the ham loose. It's liquid. It's bottled from Germany. It's, it's which I believe means seasoning. Is that mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So no cubes in yeah. the mousse. Great. Right. Thank you very, very much. Thank yeah. you.